It's the Music Universe's seventh birthday here on the Music Universe podcast. And it's Buddy Yon for the Music Universe with my correspondent in New York, Matt Bailey. How's it going, Matt? Oh, I miss doing these. I hear you did one without me. I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Uh, I'm pretty good, and I did. I, I don't like doing them solo, but I did one, uh, you know, on Neil Peart. He was a big influence on my drumming and just music in general, and I, I couldn't let it go. It was a little bit after, you know, his announcement that he passed, but um, I, I, I had to do it. And I know you're you're potentially taking a break here and there, so you might see some more uh, solo shows from me. But, uh, you know, for the most part, it's it's cool as a one-on-one with a potential guest. You know, it, it's better that way. Oh, it's great. And I'm working on some things for you, too. It's just I've been incredibly busy on some other projects. And, oh, of course. Uh, uh, you know, and I'm glad you did that one. Now, I, I tend to be a bit of a cynic, tend to be a bit... Uh, uh, not with the mainstream. Now, Neil Peart, Neil Peart, as you say, was awesome. He was probably the best of the best, top of the line. I mean, there's a billboard in my native Pennsylvania that says "Farewell to the King," and it has him and his huge drum kit and the no, oh, that's the cool. 1950, whatever to to 2020. And um, you know, I just wonder though. It's like coming from ventriloquism. Every ventriloquist my age and younger and even a little older says they got into it because of Jeff Dunham. It seems like every drummer says they got into drumming because they saw Neil at one at one point or another. And I wonder at what point does he kind of become or does that fandom and freaking out become kind of overrated? Was he really at a level that people can't achieve? Uh, you know, yes and no. He he was definitely one of a kind with the the way he did things. Um, you know, he would carefully orchestrate literally every note, so to speak, every beat, every hit that he was going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't really change it up too much, if at all, night after night. So I think that's a level in itself that is very hard to achieve. I'm the kind of drummer that'll just go at it and. You're not going to hear the same performance every night. Um, he's one that you could, you know, if you saw him uh, on a tour and you went the next night and night and night after night, then you're going to see pretty much the same show. Uh, but Rush was that kind of band. They were a jam band. They um, they enjoyed music. They enjoyed performing. They loved each other. And you know, that level of musicianship is just, I mean, it's just unheard of. There's a lot of great guys, but to have everybody be on the same level. And and Neil was more than just their drummer. He was the lyricist for the most part. He, yeah, and he wrote about the thing people think, all kinds of stuff. Tend to forget is that he oh, yeah. wrote those, really those poems that Rush put music to. And right. I, I feel like all this focus on how much of a beast of a drummer he was is really kind of diminutive of some of the great lyrics that he's written. I mean, you know, you look at this big burly motorcycle guy and then you listen to a song like Marathon and you and you go, how do you reconcile the two? Oh, yeah. And, and his love of motorcycles was... Uh, was really well known if you were a Rush fan because he would um, he would forego the tour bus and actually 
drive his motorcycle to each tour stop and um, sometimes take photos and he would write. Um, he released like a photo book, um, I believe, of his journeys doing that. So he was an avid motorcyclist and he just drove cross country. You know, most people need rest. I, I give it to him like, cool, you want to go see the, the country in such a unique way that that's awesome. So um, that's cool that he did that. And um, I, I think you got to, you know, respect that. He loved, he's Canadian, but he lived in Santa Monica and he loved, um, he loved America, you know, so much that he would, he would travel and just see the different sites and stuff. Uh, um, very, very cool. Um, very cool guy too. There was a story I was reading from, uh, I can't think of the guy's name, but, um, he was a fan and he just happened to run into him in West Virginia, I believe, uh, on one of his excursions. He sat down and, uh, said that Neil was super cool, invited him to sit down and, uh, actually sparked the conver <laughs> sparked the conversation asking him if it was a bit uh of an bit overdoing it with his bike or something like that and he goes uh isn't it a bit overdoing it on the drums and Neil's like touche <laughs> <laughs> so pretty pretty cool guy and they, they struck a conversation and sat there and ate lunch and then you know went on their ways yeah, and I would love to read an interview about his songwriting. I don't know that he ever talked about that. And this from the guy who hated meet and greets. I think because he hated the oh, yeah. artifice and how artificial meet and greets were, and he wouldn't do them. He could not do them. He didn't. He uh, he's a bit of a recluse in that uh, sense. I uh, I have some Rush uh, videos and uh, Getty and uh, Alex meet with people and. You know, Neil was nowhere to be found. Uh, he's backstage uh, warming up for, you know, 30 minutes to an hour um, before the show. So it was very rare that you got to meet Neil. And if you did, he was apparently super personable and super cool. And, uh, you know, it was just heartbreaking to hear what happened. I, I was in utter shock. I didn't even know he had brain cancer. I didn't know he had no one did. No one, unless you were inside his inner circle of friends and family, and they were all asked not to say anything. Yeah. So you got to give it. You got to give it to those guys that you know, Mike Portnoy of formerly of Dream Theater, and then with the Winery Dogs, you know, a monster of a drummer as well, and some other people did not say a word mm -hmm. about it, and uh, that just tells you what kind of class act those guys are as well. To, to you know, they they could have broke this news and they're not like that you know they're very genuine cool guys and uh you know i've never met any of them but you can tell they are especially if they're able to keep keep that quiet i mean just the biggest drummer of our time right now and just you know finding out that news and being a friend and a and a fellow colleague in some ways it's just um you know heartbreaking it is, it is, and so I know you did a whole episode on it. I don't want to rehash it, but I was; those are just my thoughts, and I meant no disrespect when I said the overrated thing. It's just because he was so much more than this godlike drummer, uh, you know, oh, yeah. the outdoorsy spirit, the soul of a poet. So you know, he will be missed, and uh, what a sad way to kick off 2020. But 2020 does mark your seventh year doing this site and uh it's cool to see yeah. what it's become 
You know, it when I first started it, uh, our, our first post was January 24th, 2013. Uh, it was about uh, Husker Du getting an expanded reissue for Record Store Day. Um, unfortunately, some website issues were happening right after I posted it. It took us four days to get it figured out. And then we started with more stuff. Um, when I first founded this site, I stepped away from playing music and uh, decided, you know what? I, I see people reporting news. It's like, I've got to jump into this more. I, I've, I've, I get excited when I see my favorite artists releasing new music and why not be a part of that and get to report it. So I, I started the website and uh, it started with being pretty much just a like review site and a uh, what, I, what we call notable releases, just uh, reporting on release info. Mm -hmm. And then it didn't take long. It started branching into what it is today, a full-fledged news site. Um, you know, I, I realized that was, there was more stuff to enjoy about it, more stuff to report. And I couldn't just let it be just news, uh, release news and info and then just my thoughts on you know songs and albums and, and a, a friend of mine too uh ryan that uh started it with me uh he's inactive right now but um you know it, it most everything at the very forefront of the site so let's say uh about three weeks four weeks it's all pretty much release info and uh, reviews um in fact one of our first articles is titled would you buy a country record by the boss uh nothing happened with that yet but then um we started branching off to tour info um and you know more news info uh you know original member is easy top dies that was uh three weeks into it uh you know that's obviously not uh not what we started with uh in that direction um and then unfortunately mindy mccready passed away um less than a month after we started the site so um that was breaking news i remember being at disneyland for the first time when ryan texted me about it I'm like oh get that out so um <laughs> we went uh we went um you know, a little different direction than it initially started, but uh, I'm excited. You know, we've we've got to meet some really cool people, interview some really awesome stars and some up and comers, and uh, you know, it just kind of uh, kind of branched into um, to what it is. And you know, we we couldn't do it without everybody visiting, even if you're a first time visitor or even listener to this podcast. Uh, you know, you you have contributed. And uh, we, we appreciate it. Really do. It's been an adventure. I know I met you <clears throat> in my last year of college, uh, towards the end of that first semester of the last year of college. I was, you called me back. I bugged you for like a month. <laughs> you did. Emails. Facebook messages. You more did, emails. Yep. I don't think I could find your phone number. You do have a Google voice for the business. I don't know that I found it. Um, but you you finally called me. I'm like, okay, <laughs> give this jerk a try. <laughs> <laughs> well, because at the time I was getting bombarded with 
you know, stuff with, with people trying to be a part of it. And I, I was just uh, like, eh, just one of those guys, you know. And then you just kept bugging me and something told me to reach out. And here we are. Well, because you probably got those people that were like, hey, can I do this? And then they moved on to the next thing. You were my focus yeah. for one reason. Other than having seen your stuff around. You got to interview Garth. Yeah, that that was around the time you contacted me. <laughs> so I was like, he must be pretty legit if he's in on the Garth stuff. I want to, I want to. You know, that, that, that made me feel more legit. The fact that, um, you know, uh, Garth's people accepted where we are or where we were at that time, which yeah. is uh, three, a little over three years ago. Where we were at the time, not being uh, 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 the boot, uh, Taste of Country, uh, Ultimate Classic Rock, Billboard, so-and-so. You know, we're not a mm-hmm. name brand, a household brand name. And the fact that they let me in really meant a lot. And it was really super cool to, to meet them and and hang out. And, and uh, you know, I, I thanked them for allowing me to do it. And then, uh, again, they allowed me to cover the dive bar tour, uh, when it hit Bakersfield. Um, I, I bugged them, you bugged them for me and, um, they, they were super cool. And, uh, it was cool to get to talk to them before being shooed away by, by the people there that, uh, didn't want me hanging out where the band was going to be coming out. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's the biggest superstar in the, the world. So I, I can understand, but at the same time, they know me, and uh, <laughs> they're like, I-, I think you're being uh, called over there. I'm like, yeah, they, they don't want me hanging out here. But, uh, you know, it was cool just to get to chat with them again um, and for them to just always remember us. You know, uh, that's for anybody that, that has worked with us and, you know, being tied to the record labels and, and publicists. You know, we just thank everybody for uh, taking a chance with us and allowing us to be on your list and, and the artists we've got to cover, the um, the, the shows we've gotten to cover, uh, artists we've gotten to interview. You know, it, it, it takes a lot of behind-the-scenes work to make this thing happen. And we, we like to be the first, but um, it's not always best to be the first and we've learned that but um we we try to be as exclusive as we can as well with um often you and i just scouring the internet or we've heard something that uh, we've been able to confirm and that is what i mean by making it being the first not hearing gossip we're not a gossip site now not to say we haven't reported on it but i like to get confirmation on stuff before we publish it and uh, that's what's hard these days is to know what's real and what's not and uh you know those that visit and uh you know know that we're legit they may like well who is this you know i'll see people click on my personal social media links to read more about me and that's great you know that's cool but um you know it's a it's about the brand here and uh we like to we like to build it and that's kind of where this podcast came from Exactly. And like I said, my first uh, thing that I did for you, we talked for like half hour. And I said, I'm headed out the door. I'm going to a Trans-Siberian Orchestra concert. This was around Thanksgiving, before Thanksgiving. And he said, and you said, oh, do you want to write it? Write about it. I said, sure. So yeah. my first review wasn't a press seat. It was a 
show I was going to anyway. And and there we are. Yeah. Now we don't, you know, we we don't always get the press seats, but we still decide sometimes to write about it and uh that just uh I think that's fun to do, you know, just to be able to attend a show and, and enjoy it. And, you know, sometimes that's what I want to do too. I just want to enjoy the show. I don't want to make notes. So if, if I go on my dime, I'll often not cover it just because I want to enjoy it. Uh, not that I don't enjoy it any other way, but you know, I, I've got a job to do when I'm there and I enjoy that very much. So it's fun to visit, um, concerts and, you know, getting to uh, experience some of this stuff because um, it's a it's a blast, you know, to get to see artists maybe you haven't seen before or maybe you haven't seen in a while or maybe you just saw last year. You know, you've seen Billy Joel how many times now? <laughs> four. Four. Almost said five. Um, <laughs> maybe five. Maybe five. Come well, up. if we come up to, if I do it again in September, October, like that's become the yearly tradition. I started in... 17 went last year went this year and uh yeah yeah I th- yeah i went last year yeah i've gone yeah i took my friend quinn last year uh 2017 i took max and then this year i took a friend named bradley i try to spread that wealth because they always give me two and i got a lot of friends who are big billy joel fans in new york that's like breathing you know oh yeah so you can't you can't find an Exactly. A non-Billy Joel fan in New York. And surprisingly enough, there's a lot of country music fans. And so last night, or earlier last week, if you're hearing this, but as the time we're recording this last night, I went to see Little Big Town at the Apollo Theater. Now, let's, you know, let's not tiptoe around it. The Apollo Theater is an African-American venue. It's steeped in African-American culture, African-American history, hip-hop, rock, blues, Jimi Hendrix, Aretha Franklin, Soul, Little Big Town, I guess, either rented it or, or was booked in as part of their, I'm sure UMG rented it as part of their album launch because they were doing Carnegie Hall and then they did two nights at the Apollo. And you right. would have thought it was the Ryman. I mean, really, it was just awesome. Well, that's cool to hear because in country music, you know, New York really isn't that synonymous with it. Uh, it has in recent years, but for the most part, for the longest time, they didn't even have a country station. And they're the number one market in the country. Yeah, you know, and I think Garth's drawing in, you know, nearly a million, a million to um, people in Central Park proved that New York City is a venue for country music. And I think I could tell you why. New York City, like a lot of places, like a lot of big metro areas across the country, it's not really a hometown to a lot of people. It's a lot of people move here for work, for other reasons, from middle America to start their careers, excel at their careers. And so I think country music is a way of staying connected to their hometown. I know it certainly is for me because of what I grew up on. You know, even though they're here in this big right. concrete jungle, that big it can become a lot. You know, it's quite oh, the contrast yeah. between the pace here and when you go home. When I go home for a day or two to Pennsylvania, so all of that to say is the fan base moves here. I don't know who grow. I've never met anybody who's grown up in New York loving country music, but I know people that moved here that it's a part of them and it's a part of their family and the fabric of 
of who they are, and that's why it appeals. I mean, people were singing Girl Crush last night at the end of that concert. You would have thought you were somewhere in, you know, in a cornfield <laughs> where, you know, the stereotypes of where you would find country music. So, and you being right. from Missouri and, and but living in the Los Angeles metro area down in Bakersfield, I think you can kind of identify with that story. It's part of your identity and it doesn't leave you when you leave the place that formed you. It, it doesn't. And I don't know if you even knew how um, I got into my... Uh, into country music. Did I, did I ever tell you that story? So this, if I didn't, this would be new to you. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I grew up listening to rock. My dad was a rock and roller and my first concert I was for, it was Van Halen mm-hmm. of all the times I wanted to leave a drum solo, go figure. Right. <laughs> so I had a uh, earmuffs on and I, I wanted to leave. So we left and then, I don't know, around, uh, 91, I guess. My aunt calls me and she goes, uh, of course, my whole family was rock. My aunt calls me and she goes, hey, I started listening to country music. I'm like, oh, brother. (laughs) Like there was just one rock station I just listened to all the time. We never turned it off back home uh, in in St. Louis. And um, I'm going to give them a shout out. It's KC95. They've been rocking St. Louis for like 50 years and they're they're awesome. So mm-hmm. I listen to them whenever I'm back there. So she told me this and I go, what are you listening to? She goes, well, uh, your cousin let me hear uh, Garth Brooks. So I, you know, at the time we had tapes. So I taped, you know, like five or six of my favorite songs from uh, this one album. I go, okay, well, I'll, I'll take a listen. It was Rope in the Wind. Mm-hmm. And that got me. I'm like, oh, it's good. My dad was mad. <laughs> he was just mad because he didn't understand country. And um, he uh, so he, he wasn't happy, but he, he supported it. And then um, it was just country. It You know, I started watching CMT. I discovered that. And then uh, my love for Reba came when I saw Take It Back on CMT in uh, 92. Instantly went out with another one of my aunts, they were sisters and, um, looked for the tape at the time. Uh, I didn't have CDs yet and, um, wasn't out yet. So I, I got whoever's in new England and then, uh, rumor has it. And then eventually it's your call came out with take it back. And I have been hooked ever since. So it was because of those two artists, mostly Garth. And I, I told Garth this during my interview, <clears throat> Uh, when I interviewed him, because he he asked, he was asking, he was actually interviewing me at first. I was shocked. Um, I, I told him that story, and he he was uh, he loved that. He, he thought that was super sweet. But uh, that's how I got into country, and then I wanted to move to Nashville. And my dad's like, "You're not a country drummer. You're a rock because you know drums were not real prominent in country as as far as the way I play." And uh, then you know I, I would go back and forth. I still loved rock, but it was more classic rock that I was into more than the modern stuff. And, uh, I, I finally discovered what I loved and it was, uh, eight late eighties into the whole nineties country era and then, uh, classic rock. So we, um, we are, uh, what they call, uh, the Nashville of California, uh, Bakersfield, you know, Buck Owens, um, Merle Haggard, uh, Dwight Yoakam. I've, I've heard he has a place here, although I haven't run into him yet. Um, just, uh, it, it's great. You know, it's a good country town 
And uh, there's a lot of rock here, too. But when I moved to Nashville in 2006, I didn't realize how much rock was there. Yeah. The rock band Cinderella was based out of Madison, Tennessee, which was a suburb of, of Nashville. And um, I don't know if you'll remember the band Winger, but Kip Winger, yeah. uh, I believe. Uh, no, my bad. Mark Slaughter from the band Slaughter. Uh was running the uh, booking, I believe, at one of the uh, clubs down there, uh, the Wild Horse Saloon. Yeah, he was he was a uh, running uh, the Wild Horse Saloon, um, and then he'd go tour when the band got gigs. So you know, it just shows you how much hard work it is for these guys to have to take a day job, you know, uh, while their bands are were successful, you know, a decade or two before that. And then they, they kind of, you know, Nirvana killed that style of music. And then, um, you know, they, they have to go do other things while they're still doing the band. So, um, you know, they moved out to L.A. with a rock band that I was in. And, uh, you know, we we had our run. And then uh, Bakersfield it is, you know. So didn't realize the country connection here till years uh after living here because i was very bitter about moving here i didn't want to do it but i did and uh you know la is where the scene is for me i'm i'm from a small town and bakersfield's not that small but compared to nashville compared to la there's there's not the the fun stuff that i call you know the industry and yeah and the the tv uh and film studios that uh, I enjoy as well are, are there. And, you know, so it's a good two hour drive. But, uh, you know, we make the most of it. And, and I'm sure um, in Bakersfield, cover, there's, cover a lot of shows. There's small pockets where you can, um, where you can feel secluded and kind of like you're in a small town. I don't, you know, I don't oh, think yeah. unless you get up to California wine country, you're ever going to be in a really rural area in Southern California. <laughs> There's there's some spots, I mean, uh, to get to L.A. And big reason I don't in the winter a lot, because of the mountains. Uh, you actually go 6,500 feet up, and uh, they will close it down if there's uh, if it gets too slick with snow and ice. So, oh, wow. Uh, it, it, has, uh, it has happened. I've nearly been stuck in it before. <laughs> oh, Last February, I, I, I went to meet a friend from Nashville in L.A. We, we did a quick photo shoot and hung out for a little bit went around the hollywood hills about four o'clock in the afternoon it's raining i'm on my way back and uh it's dark uh snowing as i got higher and higher and i literally had to call my mom in missouri like hey i need you to look up traffic conditions and this is what you type in to find it and tell me if it's closed because i can barely see anything i got over and about an hour later they closed it oh i would have been sleeping yeah, right. I would have been sleeping in my car on the mountains because that's they'll they'll do that. Mm-hmm. So, I I try to avoid going down there as much as possible during the winter months. But uh, you know, it, it happens if there's a show that uh, I get to go cover or something. I'll um, keep an eye on the weather and then you know, hopefully committing to it will uh, will foresee any weather conditions so I don't have to cancel it. But uh, you know, it it has its advantages, I guess. Certainly. So in the few minutes remaining that we have, I just want to tell you a little bit more about the show last night. You know, it was really Little Big Town. They don't have a big sound. And I think this this goes back to 
what I was saying with Trisha Yearwood. They did really well in the small arena I saw them in over a year ago in 2018, March of 2018. Geez, two years ago now it'll be soon. Um, They did really, really well. But here in a small space like the Apollo, 1,500 seats, and I'm sure, you know, you get up to three, 5,000 Radio City, Carnegie Hall. It's kind of the same because it's not that cavernous. It it really fit. It really, their style of music, their, as I said in the review today, ethereal area of modern country music where they're kind of just focusing on lyric more than melody, although they are, they get some great earworms. Wine, beer, whiskey is just awesome. Uh, And of course, Painkiller, I love the Painkiller because that's all earworms on that album. But these last two, The Breaker and uh, Nightfall, it's, it's more subdued, it's more lyrics breaker had better man as their breakout hit now the daughters is awesome you just you you sit i hate to call them adult contemporary country but that's almost what they are you you sit and listen to them and it impacts you more than a dance tune ever could because of the harmonies because of the 30 plus year relationships it's just they're just awesome, and I'll go see them anytime that I can. Uh, I mean, my taste does lean more towards, you know, let's let's get to day drinking, let's get to boondocks and all the ones that they right. know they have to do. But you sit and you listen, you can really appreciate their artistry. And I hope, as they play the venues they're going to play, that this music fits in those homes. You know, I hope they aren't just playing big arenas because that's what they can play because they're a name attraction. I hope they are playing venues that the music, that respects the music. Uh, Because again, with Trisha Yearwood, blew me away at the town hall. And they, a little big town, blew me away at the Apollo, I think more than they did in a cavernous arena. And and I would almost wager to say that, that the show in the arena was more like a festival style because they all... They didn't have equal billing. Little Big Town was certainly the headliner, but on the poster, it was all of them all together. It wasn't like Little Big Town and then a picture of Midland in the middle and then uh, Casey Musgraves down in the corner. They were all together. Yeah. It was it was a package tour with Little Big Town as the headliner. So they filled the arena off on the backs of those three names, and certainly Little Big Town could fill them you know, once or twice over on their own name. But this smaller arena the smaller theaters rather really fit the music. And I'm a big, big proponent of when the music fits the venue and not the egos of the band. Of course. And I think that's a big thing too, is so much goes into production these days. Not that it didn't before, but everything is about production and some things are overproduced. So when you can take a band that has a lot of, producing done to it and then kind of strip it down to a venue like that and they still sound great that just tells you how great they are really exactly and you know i have to admit wine beer whiskey is the only song off the album that i bought i have a i I listened to the whole thing they sent me a press copy and it's wonderful it's just not the album is not something i'd listen to on the subway it's something i'd listen to at on a quiet night at home in a really pensive mood 
and it's it's an incredible album, but it has its place. This is not like Painkiller, where you know if you're angry, you're gonna listen to to Save Your Sin, or if you're you're in a party mood, you, mood you're gonna do Stay All Night or Day Drinking. This is a this is almost like a concept album. Same with I The Breaker. I was about to ask you that. You know, it's it's it it really is word driven, and I think we have a habit now. I say almost a concept album because I think we have a habit now of calling albums that are lyric driven concept albums almost as almost to sort of to sort of dog whistle that that it's not listenable because the melodies aren't catchy. No, it's very listenable. You just have to be really into the lyric and I think the lyric is what country music is about. Country music is the home of the killer lyric and they oh, yeah. hit, they hit the nail on people? the head over and over. I mean, sugarcoat, uh, trouble with forever. I mean, they took the philosophy of girl crush, which is just turn a phrase and contextualize it in a way nobody else would think to do. Yeah, and did it over and over and over on this album, and it's it's amazing. It really is awesome. Yeah, and, and people I think get concept album confused i don't honestly think they always know what that means but that's when the every song has a underlying the same underlying theme so it kind of you you kind of piece it together sometimes they'll run together as well yeah and so when the tracks skip you don't always know that hey this is the next song um you know that makes me want to hear it i i'm not a too big of a fan of like the poppy overproduced stuff but uh, I, i might have to check this out you know and if there is a theme and you could i think it does fall in that category if not squarely because there is a, a theme of sort of the regrets of life and either not moving through life with those regrets or looking back and seeing where you went wrong which is where sugarcoat is uh trouble with forever is kind of like and even though i'm leaving from luke combs but a little bit more mm. pensive and a little bit more like wow relationships really aren't forever no matter what they are and then you have something that is catching fire and that is this two daughters which is just i'm not even going to tell you what the hook is you have to go and listen to it um or it's the daughters i keep calling it two daughters it's the daughters Mm -hmm. and it's like wow this really is about humanity and and what are what is society teaching not just young girls but young people of, of any sex, of any gender, of any race. Yeah, in that regard, it is a concept album. But it's something great. I hope for the next one, they get back to something like a, a painkiller, which to me, maybe it's kind of just where, because where I came into the fold, other than Boondocks, maybe for me, that's why I consider it the breakout album, because it's where I kind of discover them. But I think for them, too, it was the first time where they could kind of get away from doing covers in their live sets and really had a great album of material uh, to, to draw from. And they've just built and built and built upon that in these last uh, last two albums. Nightfall is kind of, in many ways, the, the great successor to uh, the great hybrid, rather, of Painkiller and Wanderlust, which was the thing that uh, Pharrell Williams produced for them that was basically yeah. just a fun little throwaway EP uh, pop album. So they're learning and you can see them carving out their niche and it is just a wonderful journey to be on. 
as a fan and as a journalist covering them. You know, I, I remember they, um, I was uh, just graduated high school and uh, Ryan and I decided to take our own senior trip and we took it to Nashville and they had a show on um, CMT, you might remember, called Most Wanted Live Yep. and it filmed at Opry Mills Mall at the Gibson Showcase and they were the artists and uh, the guest artist for that live episode and um, we got to meet him afterward and I've got an autographed picture of him at eight by 10. They were on monument records. Um, they actually got dropped and then capital picked them up mm-hmm. some years later. So they, they got a second chance that most artists don't get, especially even in the early 2000s like that. Well, they were road dogs. I mean, they did not stop. Their original fan club president, as I understand it, drove them around to open for Keith Urban. Uh, mm-hmm. They didn't have nice. a driver. They didn't have a staff. And I think they had that opportunity. And the fan club president drove the van so that they could open for Keith Urban. Either that or, or they That's made it awesome. sound like they were stalking Keith Urban. But <laughs> I think they could were be both. for him. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I'm I'm so glad to hear that they have that success because they have a they have beautiful harmonies and they they were super nice then. I was like 2002, so um, that that tells you you know they've come a long way since then. They don't have a whole lot of albums during that um, time frame, but I, I know that they were dropped and then picked up. And Keith is on Capitol Records, so um, I don't know the backstory. Maybe he had something to do with helping that, but. Um, that's super cool, and that's a story I did not know about yeah. them. So, well, here's the thing, you know, there's this, there's this, been this Twitter thing going around about how radio stations get flack for playing two female artists back yeah, to back, BS. and then they can't even do a little Big Town or a Lady A next to each other. You know, you can't do a Miranda yeah. Lambert and then a, a little Big Town, and certainly not a little Big Town where Karen or Kimberly are leading our lead vocals. And I'm wondering, that makes no sense. First of all, that's BS and that needs to change. But yeah, it's, it brought up an interesting point that little big town showcases something else rare in, um, it they actually showcase two things, one related and then one's a tangent is that it is, there are two men in the group who are totally in touch with their emotional, vulnerable, dare I say, feminine side. Because they're singing back up to songs about heart about from these girls about heartbreak over men, and they're singing the gendered lyrics to harmonize. Right, right. And I think you know it's such a subtle thing, but it it adds a layer and it adds the context and the tone and the soul that there is a feminine quality to Little Big Town, even though it's half and half. And I think that is quite wonderful. And I think even Garth would agree with that. So. Um, and the other thing that you just don't see, I mean, Garth has Johnny Garcia and Robert Bailey, but maybe I'm making too much of a generalization here, but the band for Little Big Town is at least 50% because there's only four other, four backing musicians, African American. It's a mixed race band, which very rare in country. And I wonder... The journalist in me has to wonder what kind of conversations go on behind the scenes, especially when the band has to play the Deep South and, 
you know, even the middle states like Tennessee and, and Missouri, because sadly in 2020, that's still a risk. And I applaud them I, for it. I, I would like to think we're over that, but <laughs> times show us that unfortunately we're not. Um, I, I remember when I was listening to country music, um, you know, again, in the 90s, Charlie Pride was the only black artist. Yeah. And I really didn't know who he was. He was a little before the music that I was into. And then, you know, Darius Rucker really brought that out when he left Hootie and the Blowfish. And they uh, they did their, you know, I guess they kind of disbanded for a while. And he went country. I thought that was super cool to see that. Like, good. You know, it, it, it's a good mix of... Not really a good mix, but at least there's some crossover in that aspect because we're in 2020. There should never be the race card played anywhere. And uh, unfortunately, you're, you know, people are probably wondering about that as well when they hit some of those. Well, what towns. I will say, and this will kind of wrap the conversation here and bring drive home my point, is playing the Apollo. Seeing them at the Apollo, it was it was kind of cool. It was really cool knowing how many how many African American artists had had played there, how that had 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 played a central role in shaping the culture of Harlem. Uh, you know, Aretha, like I was saying, Aretha Franklin, Etta James, James Brown, just just so many wonderful, powerful, soulful artists. And then you have some of these songs on on Nightfall are pure soul. I mean, like uh, um, Trouble with Forever. Uh, another one, the name is escaping me right now. Um, Forever in a Day from uh, uh, Philip that Philip does. It's just, it's just, and then to see them all lined up, black backing band with white country music artists, knowing that country music comes from black music yeah. at the Apollo Theater. That was just. That was awesome, and it made me proud to be a music journalist. And that's one of the real, real highlights of why last night was so cool. That that's awesome, dude. That, that that's super cool to to see that. Um, the other thing, touching on them, and sort of the same way with, not as much with Lady Annabellum, but that there's four people, obviously two men, two women in Little Big Town, and most of the singles are female fronted. Mm-hmm. And that, that, like I said, Lady A isn't as, um, it's a good mix, I think, with them. And uh, I was really surprised to hear how many female-fronted songs come from Little Big Town. And uh, I think that's great, too, because that just helps that diversity in country music. And unfortunately, radio's got this stupid no no rule, they say. Most of them, oh, that's not a rule. Somebody made that up. Unwritten Well, rule. yeah, some... Yeah, unwritten rule, but I, I worked in radio before and I I was told in a small group of stations, do not play two women back to back. Like, why? We just don't do that. Really? That's stupid. I did it just to piss them off. I do it sometimes because I thought that was stupid, you know? Why not? Here's because the there's, I, there's two few of them the and they sound I would the same. just never play men back to back. I would go man, woman, man, woman, man, woman. <laughs> And at the end and, of the day, you know, it does it, what does it even matter anymore? It's music. 
It should have never mattered to begin with. There's so many great women. And when, when I worked at, um, at a place locally and, and I'll, I'll keep their name unmentioned. I, I was talking to one of the DJs and, um, I said, you know, you guys don't play Reba anymore. She goes, well, you know, our, our playlist, uh, they started going through and just deleting everything. I go, what do you mean? They, go, they just start deleting all of her songs out of there. Like, really? Why? Oh, they have to make room for, for the new artists coming. I thought that was shitty, you know? I completely agree. I why? Completely- why? I, I get music and radio maybe in a different different state than it was 20 years ago when, you know, she was on top of the world. And I'm not just saying this about her. I'm saying it. Patty Loveless, Martina McBride, Winona, the judge. Tanya Tucker. Uh, t- yeah, which you never hear. Um, all these artists that are great and they're soulful, they're real. I'll mm-hmm. put it. I'll put that out there. You don't hear hear them, but you don't also hear Casey Musgraves on radio. She's too real, I guess. And, uh, you know, it's just sad that you have to go through and limit the same 10 to 12 artists. And it really annoyed me, too, that every hour I'd hear the same artist. It would be a different song, but it'd be the same artist. I'm like, Really? Come on. And yeah. I get they, they, they base it on what the fans, listeners want. But it, I, I'm just not understanding that. Maybe because I'm not in the R&D area of radio, you know, research and development that I don't understand it. But as a music fan, put journalist aside, put musician aside. As a fan, I want to hear diversity and I could care less if two songs, three songs by women were played back to back. In fact, if I operated radio stations, I would probably do hours on end of women only. Yeah. Just, just to get it out there. And we can have another conversation on this. This could be a whole other podcast. Entirely. Oh, it probably will be. It could be. Um, but I will say, you know, it's kind of funny because most popular country DJs are women. Why? Because there's there's a very famous quote, okay? This is getting a little inside baseball, but it's a very famous quote that everything in life is about sex, except sex. Sex itself is about power. We can examine mm-hmm. the second half of that quote at a later date. But <laughs> everything in life about sex, why are women the DJs at country music? Because you need the vessel through which to fawn over the male artists. Mm-hmm. Male artists are, are packaged deals, right? Images, sex symbols, etc. You need the women to be the introductory point at radio to get the female fans interested in the male artists. It's just, it's so totally backwards and chauvinistic. And I hope that in 2020, we can rectify that and... Uh, that going forward, as Music Universe celebrates its seventh birthday, we will be a voice for all music and all artists in country music as well. Yeah, let's make it all genres. I mean, there's a lot of pop artists, and they don't have those silly rules. Exactly, exactly. Why well, is it only in country? Is it the know, twang? I, again, I that's know. another that's another episode, and I would love to do that with like a guest 
who could talk to that because I'm actually very interested in that. But do you know we've been on here for almost an hour, man? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we gotta we gotta wrap this up. We we said thirty minutes, but we're that's we, always we like a lie. Tangents. That's always a big yeah, lie. That's just kind of our goal is hey let's do 30 minutes but you know we're gonna see where it takes us because we enjoy this and we enjoy you guys and we want you to reach out to us as well you you can always hit us up on uh facebook twitter instagram uh at the at the music uni or you could look me up at uh, buddy and the last name is iahn so the handle is b-u-d-d-y-i-a-h-n we also have matt uh at uh, talk for two and uh, he's on facebook and instagram there as well so love to hear you guys uh love to hear from you if you guys have stories you can always share them with us we're always trying to stay on top of it as well so we can share uh breaking news as it happens although we aren't just sitting in front of our computers all day, unfortunately. So we do miss it as breaking sometimes, but we do bring it to you. And uh, we're glad you guys have uh, tuned in for, to the website and are tuning into the podcast. We, we uh, thoroughly enjoy doing it. Thanks for a great seven years. And here's to 70 more. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Matt. All right. Signing off. I'm Matt Bailey. And I'm Buddy on for the Music Universe podcast. Thanks for listening. Uh-huh.